0: Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of CodeNuby.
1: I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're reading Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy. And last week we started Chapter 5, and so we're going to continue with that today. Once again, we've got a lot to get through. So let's see if we can make it in the half hour. We are going to delve a bit deeper into the internal structure of a Ruby class, discuss generic objects, look at objects that are so simple that they don't need a structure, the mystery of instance variables on generic objects, and how long Ruby takes to save an instance
0: variable. And remember to follow us on Twitter at RubyBookClub. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. How did you find this week's reading? I thought it was pretty good. Uh, it was pretty understandable. I didn't have too much of a hard time. There were a couple points where I felt like we'd deviated pretty far from what we had already been talking about. So I was kind of like, wait a minute, what world are we in? What are we, what's the context? So there were a couple moments where I felt a little disconnected from the the storyline that we mm. were on. Uh, but overall, I thought it was pretty good. How about you? I really enjoyed it. And I don't know why. Does that make sense? And <laughs> like got
1: to the end and I was like, that was great. Um, I don't know whether it's just because what I'd been doing before, maybe that was more exciting. But I just really liked the reading. I felt like I'd learned a lot. I think it's because I felt like I'd learned a lot and I understood everything pretty quickly. But I also found the subject matter very interesting and fascinating. And we'll see when we go through the reading. But I think I had that moment where I'm like, ah, everything really is an object. <laughs> like when we talk about generics and things like that. Yeah. Um,
0: I, found, I just found it really interesting. That's very good. So let's start with visualizing two instances of one class. Sound good? It does indeed. So here we are looking into Ruby C structure a little bit more in detail. And so if we look at figure 5-2, we see on the left a class. We have class mathematician. We have the adder accessor first name and another adder accessor last name. End. And then we actually create two instances of that mathematician. So we have the first one, which is Euler equals mathematician.new. And then we give Euler a first name, so Euler dot name equals Leonard. Is it Leonard? Is that how you say that? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Euler dot last name equals Euler. And then we create another instance. Is it Euc- Euclid? Yeah. Okay. That sounds inappropriate. Okay. Really? Yeah, Euclid. It sounds like a like a derogatory name. Okay. <laughs> and then there's. <laughs> Is that just me? I guess okay. maybe so. it's just the hard C L. <laughs> That'd be just the hard C L. Okay. So then there's Euclid, which is equal to mathematician.new. And then we give Euclid only a first name, Euclid.firstname equals Euclid. And on the right, Pat shows us what type of things these are. So for that class mathematician, we have R class, and it says that it's called mathematician. And then for that first instance, it's an R object called Euler, and then another R object called Euclid. So if we look at figure 5-3 and we want to see how these three things interact with each other, at the very top, we have that R class mathematician. And then below, we have two R objects. And these R objects have a class value. And then they also have two other things, which I don't know. Have we talked about? We have talked about them, Yeah, the The IVP. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. And then we have two things. In each R object, which is, one is called the numiv. And for the first R object, it is set to two. And then for the second one, it's set to one. And then each R object also has an instance variable pointer, which is the ivptr. And then the instance variable pointer points to an array of instance variables. So for that first R object, the iv pointer points to an array with two values, one for the first name, one for the last name. And the second art object, the IV pointer there, points to an array of one instance variable, which is just that first name Euclid.
1: Yeah, so that's just essentially a simple overview of, hey, this is what it actually looks like. And it's quite straightforward, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I looked at that and I said, okay, cool, I believe it. That's Mm -hmm. kind of how I always thought about it in my head when I thought about Ruby classes and objects. So, so far, so good. There
1: was one bit that I didn't quite understand. So it said both arrays contain value pointers, the same pointer that Ruby uses to refer to the R object structure. So I think I got a bit confused because I thought so we've got the instance variable pointer and that's the value pointer to the array, but then you've also got the class pointer, you know, which points to the class. But those are the only two pointers I thought existed. So I wasn't sure about what it meant by the same pointer that Ruby uses to refer to the R object structure. Hmm. Does it maybe is it does it go two ways? Is it bidirectional? I just wasn't sure.
0: Both arrays contain value pointers, the same pointer that Ruby uses to record. Yeah, I
1: think it's a backwards one. I think it's saying there's a pointer from the array to the R object. Okay, that makes sense. But I just it wasn't clear to me that sentence though. Yeah, no. So now let's talk about generic objects. Yeah, let's do it. So Generic objects, they're essentially basic data types that are things like integers, strings, and symbols. And so these are objects. They're generic objects in the Ruby language. They're built-in types. And so the question is, you know, if everything in Ruby is an object, are these objects... Also, do they look the same as our custom classes? Are they made up of R object structures? And so Pat says that no, they're not. And that there are different um, C structures for each of the different types. So, for example, string values have something called an R string structure. Arrays have something called an R array structure. And regular expressions have something called an R regexp structure. And it goes on like that. And so R object is only used to save instances of custom Ruby classes that we create, and also there are a few custom classes that Ruby creates internally. But even though each of these um, generic objects have their own type of structures, um, if we look at figure uh, 5-4, we can see that they look very similar to the R object structure. And so, for example, if we look at the first box on the left, it represents an R string. And we see that there is, you know, we've got the outer box, which is R string, and that contains some string info, but it also contains an R basic structure similar to the um, R object, and inside the R basic structure, we've got flags, um, and also a, a value pointer to the class in question. And then there's also a value, like for example, if a string, let's assume you have a string that says "the lazy dog jumps over the quick brown fox," for example. I think I got that the wrong way round, but you catch my drift. Then that will have a value pointer to the R string structure, and it's the same for R array and R regexp. So yeah, that's
0: that's that. Yeah, so far, so good. Nothing nothing too surprising, nothing too shocking. And so if we go to simple ruby values don't require a structure at all. This is the part where I was like, "Oh." So here so I,
1: Yeah, I have a question about this,
0: but yeah, let's let's go. Okay so here we talk about how and we've seen this a few times where ruby says you are probably going to do this a lot or this is you know really simple and let's make it uh, a little bit easier a little bit faster so let's optimize it for performance and so here pat tells us that ruby saves things like small integers symbols and a few other simple values without using any structure at all and instead they place them right inside the value pointer. Which, looking at five four, when you saw when you talked about how there's a value and it's pointing to this r string structure, I assume it means it just like doesn't really point to anything. It just has it just stays in that value structure, and it says these values are not pointers at all. They are themselves values. Yes, and so we so say- essentially. In the difference between a more
1: complex string and a simple string is that, take the left-hand side of figure 5-4, you would essentially delete everything under the value box. No pointer and no R string.
0: Yes, that's exactly what I understood. And so we see what we're left with with figure 5-5, five five, where we have a value, and then on the left, and this is for example an integer value, and so we have on the left the integer value, and then on the right we have a section for flags. And so we see an example of what 5-5 would look like if it was actually filled in with in figure 5-6 so in figure 5-6 we have the integer value and then on the right in that flags section it's filled in with the number one and this is a part that's a little bit confusing we see fixed num flag right above the one it's like pointing to number one and so i'm not sure if that means that the number one is a shorthand representation for fixed num flag meaning that if i have any integer values i'm always going to see a number one there or if it doesn't mean that and the number one means something different. I'm not I'm not really sure what that number one is. So I've just done a quick
1: search actually. It's actually from Pat's website that's come up and um, it shows a value of ten thousand and then it's got it shows how it's represented in sixty-four in bit and then there's a one at the end and it says fixed underscore flag equals one indicates this integer represents an instance of the fixed flag. So I'm guessing fixed flag could be zero or something else okay and then again it says ruby still sets the lowest bit so the lowest bit is always the fixed num flag and it sets it to one which means it's it's a fixed num so i'm guessing if you set it to zero it means it's not a fixed num
0: okay so that is an actual representation of fixed num flag like that's what that's referring to Good, that makes it easier for me i I like that. Oh, also,
1: I just seen later down on the same page there's another example, and it says on the right, you can see Ruby has reset the fixed num flag to zero, indicating this value is not a fixed num but instead a pointer to some other type of object.
0: Ah, uh, okay, okay, so it definitely is talking specifically about the fixed num flag. Okay, good. So far, everything makes sense, which makes me very, very happy. So with listing five five, it's, it's interesting because when I first looked at that, I thought it was going to prove the point about the lack of the object structures and the fact that, you know, I think string it looks like and mm-hmm. you know, one look like very simple, um, you know, very simple values. And so I thought it was going to prove the point that, you know, we don't need uh, structures for these. We just have just their actual value. Uh, but I don't think it's doing that. I think it's just showing that everything has a class. Yeah. That's what I understood as well. Yeah.
1: Okay. So when we come to the end of this section, I've got a note here which says, I'm not clear when generics are simple enough to not have a structure. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I understand the concept of when it's simple, you can just have these flags and that's it. But when when do we cross the boundary between a simple string and a complex string? I'm guessing there is a threshold. Maybe we can search it. But yeah, that wasn't clear to me.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know.
1: All right, shall we move on anyway and look at whether generic objects have instance variables? Yep, let's do it. So I really like this section because this was the section where I was like, oh my god, everything really is an object. So Pat starts by going back to the, the definition of a Ruby object, which is Every Ruby object is the combination of a class pointer and an array of instance variables. So, you know, in the section before, we we saw that the, the generic objects do have class pointers. You know, they always refer to a class. But we haven't spoken about these things having instance variables. And I was thinking, oh, does a string have an instance variable? Like, we never really... Talk about that, or does a you know, does the number one in Ruby have instance variables? And so, this is the question that Pat asks in this section. And it, it is it is true, they do have instance variables. And so, the question is, if they don't use our object, where are these values saved? And so, we look at example five six, and we get introduced to something called the instance underscore variables method. And this is where each of these um, basic values also has an array of instance variables attached to them. So looking at you know, example 5.6, um, we start by, you know in IRB, writing string or str equals and then passing in the string some string value. And then when we call instance underscore variables, we get an empty array. And then you can do str.instance variable set, um, and you pass in the first argument, which is the name of the um, instance variable, and then the second argument, which is the value. So we've passed in atVal1, and then uh, the second argument, value1. And now when you call str.instance variables, the array is no longer empty. It's now got one item in it, which is symbol of atVal1 and then actually the next thing that uh, pat does is he sets another one and you can see that the instance variables array increases to 2 and so you know everything in ruby really is an object because every single object can have an array of instance variables and so yeah i just thought that was that was interesting
0: okay it was so cool like i you know, like you said i've always known everything in ruby is an object which first of all is is interesting because i've never i never really questioned that or that's never bothered me or felt weird i think because ruby's you know my primary language was my first language and so it's kind of like okay cool this sounds this sounds perfectly reasonable uh so like that's never felt like uh, what do you mean Like, i've never kind of felt that had that reaction but this is definitely the first time where i was like oh yeah that's what you mean like it, it really it really became clear what what we were talking about so it was cool yeah so next we're going to talk about where does ruby save instance variables for generic objects and so here, and this is the part where I was kind of like, mm, what are you talking about? So here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I think I got uh, it. So here. I just, I would want to, I wanted to check with you that this is what I think it's saying. Am I correct? Right. Okay. Cool. So here, Pat tells us that Ruby uses a little bit of a mm. hack to save instance variables for generic objects. So here, what he means is that we are not using an R object structure. And so instead, we save it in a special place, uh, in a special hash called generic IV table, which I assume IV stands for instance variable. And so in figure 5-7, we see what that means. So we have a generic instance variable table up top. And in that structure, we have a little table and the first Looks like the first cell uh, has STR hash rocket hash, and then we have et etcetera. Et cetera. So I assume there are other STR hash rocket hashes, and then from the STR that points to a R string structure, which contains the string some string value, and then the hash points to a hash, which has at value one hash rocket the string value one at value two hash rocket the string value two. And so when I saw this, I had a, I guess that the big question, the thing I didn't really understand is where is this generic IV table? Like, is this on a per class basis? So, is there just one really big, yeah, yeah. What is so all This is now? what I want to check with you because from reading this paragraph and the way
1: it's set out, my understanding is that within a program, there is one generic IV table because so you know that's what i'm afraid of
0: because i don't want that i don't want i don't like that that makes me uncomfortable
1: so you know how you said oh i'm assuming there's other str hash rocket hashes i don't think it's not necessarily right the next one could be int then to a hash or like whatever your generic objects are it's a list of them so the next one could be int hash rocket hash and the int bit points to an r Mm. r fix num you know and it's just this Mm. long list but yeah, yeah so my question is where is this thing stored but yeah, I just found that really like, oh, wow, there's just one big one. This does seem like a little hack. <laughs> but it was cool because I understood it. Like, I was like, oh, I, I get what it's doing, which is that you've got the thing that points to the, to the structure of your object. And then you've got the thing that points to the, the values. So that's cool. But yeah, where is all this stuff stored? And what is the actual scope?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I was kind of wor- <laughs> it's funny. Um I wrote a note to myself. I circled the generic IV table and I wrote per ruby. Like is this is this just like for, you know, an entire um you know, when I'm in IRB like for that whole session that I'm there, it just has like one big instance variable table that it's just kind of keeping track of. Uh and I I think you're right. I think that's what's happening. You know what?
1: I'm just going to do a really quick Google and see if I get something straight away. Cool. Generic. Yeah so the thing i found i didn't it wasn't very clear but implied it was a global thing in ruby so i'm not sure if it's like in the language and it must be per program i'm guessing like when you set start up a program it just stores all the
0: all of the things yeah yeah that's what i think too okay
1: so to finish off this week, we're gonna look at experiment 5.1. And I found this very interesting. So this is how long does it take to save a new instance variable? Like this is nothing that's ever crossed my mind because I'm just like I guess because I didn't know the internal structure, so I don't see it as saving a variable, if that makes sense. Mm. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so what happens is Pat us up this experiment in 5 8, in listing 5 8. Um, and it's called Creating Test Objects. And what he does is he writes iterations, like in capital letters as a constant, equals, now that's 100,000, isn't it? Then we have gc.disable, and then we have opt so obj equals iterations.times.map, and then passes in um, a block which says class, with a capital C, .new, .new. And so what's happening here is that He's using class new each time. So that's going to be each new object is going to have a unique class and they're all going to be independent. And he also disables um, garbage collections so that there's no, um, you know, any of the background work that's happening doesn't skew the results. And then he does this benchmark test, an example five nine. And that's called adding instance variables to each test object. So what he does is um, we've got benchmark.bm do bench, 20.times do count and then bench report. So that's just a description. And it says, adding instance variable number and then interpolating in count plus one do. And then here's the interesting bit. We say iterations dot times do n. And then we take um, object, and then we access the nth one, dot instance variable set. The first one is at var, and then we interpolate in count. And then the second argument is value. So just the string value. And then we close everything up. So we've got end, end, end. So what this does is um, it's iterating 20 times, repeatedly saving one new instance variable to each of the objects. And then in figure 5-8, we have a chart which shows the time to add one more instance variables versus the instance variable count. And so along the y-axis, we've got time to add an instance variable in seconds times 100,000. So it's for each. He's basically summing up for all of the classes that he's made, all of the objects. And then along the x-axis, we've got instance variable count, and it goes up to 20. And what's interesting is it doesn't progressively get higher. Like we start at around 0.12 seconds, 0.12, yeah. And then it goes down a bit, a little bit up, a little bit up, down, and then it shoots up again, goes down. And then you get into this pattern where it goes quite high around 0.14, and then it goes down to 0.10 for a couple and then goes up again. And so, you know, part of a question, this is weird, sometimes it takes longer to add the next instance variable, but sometimes it doesn't. So why is this happening? And this is because of the behavior of the IV pointer array, which is where Ruby stores the instance variables. So looking at uh, figure 5.9, we're reminded of this R object structure, which has an IV pointer, in it and then it points to the array that we saw earlier, which has Leonard and Euler in it. So in Ruby 1.8, the array was actually a hash table which had the variable names, which were the keys, and then the values. And so that just automatically expands to accommodate any number of elements. But there was a change in Ruby 1.9 and Ruby 2. And so because the instance variable names are always the same for all instances of a class, rather than being saved on the object, they're now saved In a simple array on the objects class. So this means that there's a choice that has to be made. Does Ruby 1.9 and Ruby 2 pre-allocate a large array so that you can just handle most cases of instance variables? Or does it repeatedly increase the size of the array as you save more variables? And obviously the clue is in the graph. It looks like the the later versions of Ruby do repeatedly increase the array size. And so then we have an example. So looking at figure 5.10, we see an R object with an instance variable pointer to the array and it's seven items long. And so... Pat says when you come to add the eighth instance variable, then what will happen is Ruby 1.9 and Ruby 2 will increase the array size by three, guessing that you're probably going to add more instance variables. And they show this in figure 5-11 where the array has now eight. So before it had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and now it's got eight added, but also two empty uh, gaps on the right. And so when you come to adding the eighth instance variable, because you've had to also extend the array, this is why the graph in this example jumps up at eight. And so then when it comes to the ninth and the tenth instance variable, there's already space, so it'll be much quicker, which explains why the time drops down again. Now, I had a question at this point. I don't know whether you had a question. My question was, is this a standard for all objects? So is the starting array size always around seven? Uh, like That's what I was wondering. Or is it the, if you don't, so in his example, for example, he does class.new.new and he doesn't do an initialize method. So is seven the default? But if maybe you had a a initialize and it had three, maybe it starts with three instead. But actually I'm thinking about it now, if you did a def with three methods, if you tried to set any more, it would just fail. So probably it would just give you a size three array because that would be the most efficient thing to do. And then the other thing is, is it always two extra? Because I don't know if you noticed on the graph, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but when you get to 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all low. So is it as you add more and more? So initially it's like, okay, we'll give you two extra. Does it start giving you three extra? Right, yeah. Like,
0: so all these right, questions. That, that's exactly yeah. what I was wondering. That's exactly what I was wondering. With the um, how many do you start with? I assumed it was Like you said, like if you start off with three, then it just gives you three. And then anything more, I think it's adding for you afterwards. But yeah, that was my question is because in the example, in the example where he actually talks about, you know, when you add an eighth variable in figure five dash eight, it increases the array size by three is actually what he wrote. And so my question was, is it always three? But when I looked at the chart, sometimes you're adding, it looks like you're adding two. Sometimes there's one point we're adding three. So I should have said um, three. And
1: then for 14, then that would mean it was four. Because it would add 14, but also the ones for 15, 16, and 17. Because in figure 5, 8, 15, 16, and 17 are are lower, which means space was already made for them.
0: Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so my guess, just from the the chart and the way uh, Pat talks about it, my guess is that it's... I I mean, I don't know, honestly. Like, I, I assumed it was some type of variable. But I don't know how it determines it. Well, at the end of my note,
1: I also added... It's not really important, but I'm still curious to know. So I'm not I'm not stressing about it, but mm-hmm. it is something that's interesting. Yeah. But at least we understand the general idea of what happens. It's kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. This week, yeah, I enjoyed the reading. I'm going to go with another eight. So I really liked it. I found the stuff really interesting. Um, there were some, as as going through it now, there were still some holes, that, like just things I was curious about. Not like flaws in the book, but just things that I just wanted to know more. But, you know, maybe it's not worth me knowing more. But I really enjoyed the reading. So, yeah,
0: I'm an eight you yeah i think i agree with you i'm an eight as well um i really liked it i felt like i learned some stuff there's still a lot of familiarity with things which always makes me happy but there are a couple of things where i was like mm, i wish i knew i wish i could close these little gaps here and there but overall i really liked it it was good yay so we want to know what did you think of the reading this week tweet us your score at Ruby Book club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode and your next project see you next week cheerio